Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. This is episode number 215. I am Ross. I am Gordon. And how on earth did we get to 215? Uh, brute competence? <laughs> Incompetence. Maybe. <laughs> it depends on how much people listen, you know. But listen, man, you have the look of a man with a question. There was uh, a recent announcement by Sony, and following a slew of articles, uh, has left me wondering if my cameras are slated for the dustbin. Although in one of my cynical moods, which, which I have a fair number, I'm going to call it a surreptitious announcement, since I, I, don't, I don't know how many people are actually aware of this announcement. I take it you're talking about the recent announcement of the Sony A9 Model 3 that has a global shutter. And who would know about it? Anybody who follows any photography channel on YouTube or gets a feed from any photography magazines in their news feed. Because, man, the hype truck on this one is massive. So, I and others were wondering if you could explain why this is significant. Why a photographer should care? And does it make the other shutters passe? Well, I can do that. And let's start at the beginning, which, as Julie Andrews has taught us, is a very good place to start. I think you have something going on with Mrs. Miss Andrews out here. You continue to use that phrase whenever you can. Well, of course I did. But that's a different conversation for another time and another place. So let's start by having you tell us, in your own words, what a shutter does and why we have one. Well, a shutter covers the film or in modern terms, the sensor, and it opens for a period of time to allow light to reach the sensor so it can capture the data that will make up the image. Very succinct, very clear. Okay, next question. Many cameras today have both mechanical and electronic shutters. What's a mechanical shutter? Uh, it's an engineer, engineered device that uses uh, a series of opaque blades to uncover and cover the sensor during the exposure. Generally consists of two sets uh, called the curtains. And the first curtain uncovers the sensor and the second curtain covers it. Again, very clear. What regulates the movement of these curtains? Uh, the shutter speed that you set. The higher the shutter speed, the shorter the period of time the sensor is exposed to the light. Perfectly correct. And if we think in terms of modern cameras, what ranges of shutter speed are available to us? Uh, from a shorter duration is about one eight thousandth of a second uh, to 30 seconds is pretty common. So, by definition, 
a very wide range of shutter speeds that will go from action freezing and very fast moving subjects to longer exposures. All good and has been thus for a long time. Now, what about the electronic shutter? Well, I may be less clear on this, but as I understand it, an electronic shutter removes the mechanical requirement and works by applying an electrical charge to the light-sensitive pixels of the sensor. But I recall topics relating to this, the appearance of tearing of a frame, as well as issues when using a flash. Have to admit, I have heard the term, but my English 101 is failing to convert it to a mental image. Well, I can understand that. But fundamentally, you're correct. A sensor, as we know, is simply a grid of photoreceptors commonly called pixels. The grid is an array of rows of pixels. An electronic shutter charges one row at a time. So the image is recorded literally row by row as the pixel or, pixels are charged, data is captured, then the next row is charged, data is captured. And as this charge moves down, the charges on the previous rows are being released. This can happen very quickly in accordance with the priorly referred to shutter speeds. And some electronic shutters can even offer shorter duration shutter speeds. Well, that sounds great. But that aforementioned skeptic wonders, A, why do we still have mechanical shutters? And B, how fast do we have to get before we run out of light? Well, we have mechanical shutters because they're proven. And at this point, relatively inexpensive to manufacture and are very power efficient. A traditional electronic shutter comes down to that row-by-row -row data collection. Let's say you have a subject moving faster than the shutter speed can freeze it. In that scenario, what's going to happen is as those rows of pixels are activated and deactivated, the subject is going to be at different places in the frame as each row captures data. This results in an image exhibiting the tearing phenomenon. It can also be visible in a long exposure where the subject is moving during the exposure. Each row captures an instant, not the entire exposure time. And again, you can get some tearing in the image, sometimes also referred to as rolling shutter. It looks bad. And to a large extent, this is why the adoption of fully electronic shutters in the classic sense has been limited. If the shutter speed selected is capable of capturing all the data without the subject moving, then no one can tell the difference between it and a mechanical shutter. The image looks as good as one made with a mechanical shutter. So, uh, skeptic here again. Uh, the argument being made against tearing with long exposure and the progressive capture of the image would that not occur under those conditions regardless of the nature of the shutter speed? Uh, just trying to understand the rationale for the hoopla. So, 
explain the issue of the Flash. Okay. We'll start with Flash. As you know very well, cameras have a defined Flash synchronization speed that is defined by the capability of the mechanical shutter. Let's use a common example of 1 250th of a second. This is the shortest duration shutter open time where the first curtain is fully open and the second curtain has not yet started to close. However, remember in an electronic shutter in a line-by-line -line model, we don't necessarily know when the flash is going off. May go off at the beginning of the exposure, may go off at the end. The sensor, row by row, charging and discharging, may not be fully synchronized with the flash release. The flash will go off sometime in that period, but you might find situations of inconsistent exposure mm, okay. with flash with electronic shutter. It varies by camera. Now, the hoopla, as you call it, is that in long exposures, that tearing effect, rolling shutter, becomes visible as the shutter duration is reduced, higher shutter speed, the effect of tearing becomes less visible, and so users don't notice. So let me stop you for a second. So that's why if we use a shorter shutter speed with the flash, Part of the frame will be properly exposed while another part will be darker or banded. That's correct. Because that second curtain, in the case of mechanical shutters specifically, will have started closing before the flash has finished its flash movement. Or, pardon me, its shutter movement. Because in the mechanical shutter, those blades are moving. And if the flash is still firing... While that blade is moving to close off the sensor, you're going to get darkness or bending. But uh, I thought that flash duration and shutter speed are unrelated. You're correct. They are unrelated. A common hot shoe flash at full output may have a flash duration as rapid as 1 hundredth of a second or maybe even less, slower, as slow as one six hundredth of a second, depending on the flash. The duration of the flash burst has nothing to do with shutter speed. And how do I find out the maximum duration of uh, my flash, or my flash burst? Now you've raised something that, you know, I want to know. Well... Professional studio flashes will document this. I have yet to see a hot shoe flash maker document it. Well, crap. So, flash with electronic shutters is basically a no-go-to proposition? To make a sweeping generalization, yes. Doesn't mean it won't work, but the probability of success is lower than flash with a mechanical shutter. So what's different about the global shutter? Okay, global shutters have existed for some time. The idea is different from the traditional electronic shutter. What makes this announcement so interesting 
is that Sony is the first to put a global shutter in an end user camera. Here's the big difference. Unlike that common electronic shutter, a global shutter engages all the pixels on the sensor at the same time. There is no row by row data collection. This means that we can have significantly shorter shutter durations because every pixel is charged and discharged at the same time. This could also then result in much higher burst mode rates for stills when shooting in RAW. Like uh, what? Okay, so the A9 Model 3, using its global shutter, boasts the shortest shutter duration, i.e. what we call the highest shutter speed, of 1 80,000th of a second. That's an order of magnitude shorter than our 1 8,000th of a second mechanical shutters. Because of how it works, it can then capture raw stills at 120 frames per second for 1.6 seconds, which turns out to be 192 frames, 192 full-sized raw images before its buffer fills up and it slows down. This is completely different, however, from what we talk about when we consider video frame rates. We see cameras with video frame rates of 24, 25, 29, 97, 30 frames, 60 frames, 120 frames, some to 240, and in some compact cameras, up to 960 frames per second. But those are video frames. They are not full-resolution raw stills. It's a completely separate thing. We're not talking about video, in this case, with the A9 Model 3 global shutter for stills. We're talking about 120 frames in the span of 1.6 seconds. This is incredible. Now, I want you to think about it. You've got fairly modern cameras. If you put your camera in high-speed burst mode and you crunch the button down and hold it, how many frames per second can you get? I think I can push mine up to about a 15, 16, maybe 20, yeah. 20 frames a second. Yeah, that's about right. I, I'm in the same boat, right? And what I'm going to get out of that is, let's suppose I hold it down for one second. I get 15 frames and one or two might be useful. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And the, and the rest will be trash can. Yep. Now imagine that you get 192, where now there's maybe four or five that are worthwhile. Well, that's a whole lot of images to pick your way through. I think it is. Now I know that there's going to be folks... We're going to want 120 frames per second because they want 120 frames per second. So now they're going to get a whole lot more crap in the same period of time. But there's another problem that I think you've already thought about with a one eight eighty thousandth of a second. You'd need a whole lot of light 
to be able to use a shutter speed of one eighty thousandth of a second. Exactly. In fact... I can take black pictures without that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. I've done it before. I'm sadly quite good at it. <laughs> In fact, it's about three and a half stops more light required than at one eight thousandth of a second. And then you've got to sort through those 192 images to find the one best one. Well, <clears throat> yeah. Well, technically it sounds terrific, but I'm still struggling to see where that would matter to me or to most people. Well, as I said, there are always those who want the newest, hottest for bragging rights. And we both know photographers who shoot in full burst mode today using that very sophisticated method we call spray and pray. The Sony system does offer that same preemptive recording that your Olympus system does, and folks like that. And, okay, so what other advantages does this global shutter bring to my photography? Well, to be blunt, I can only talk about my photography, and what excites me are two other things. The first is that this whole idea of flash synchronization speed goes right out the window. It becomes like a leaf shutter. Whatever shutter speed you want, you can use it with flash. That's pretty awesome. Now, of course, the duration of your flash it burst. Oh, remember that number you couldn't find out what, what it was? Mm -hmm. Yep. Can't be longer than the duration of the shutter speed. Because otherwise you won't you get the full light on the subject. Yep. However... Photo, as an example, makes a studio flash where you can set its shortest flash duration to one eighty thousandth of a second. And finally, for the first time ever, there's a sensor that can use that without any impact from ambient light. As you pointed out, at an eighty thousandth of a second, you need a fair you bag of light. of light. It's a niche play for sure, but. For myself, who ends up using high-speed sync a lot, eliminating having to use high-speed sync would be a real benefit. The second thing that excites me is in video. Now, I get it. 95% of camera owners that have video functions never go there. So, again, it's a niche play. But Global Shutter, by eliminating that row-by-row charge-discharge method, eliminates rolling shutter or tearing in any kind of video. It's just that one-time capture, not row by row. It reduces the needs for massive frame rates, and that also means a reduction in the massive heat buildup and a reduction in the size of the video files themselves. If I can record video with no tearing, I can drive that shutter speed up so I get action freezing without having to push the video frame rate through the roof. That's awesome. So to that person who shoots video and who uses flash with high-speed sync, 
this global shutter is a really big win. So is this the way you think we're going? I believe that global shutters will come to all brands over time. Sony deserves kudos for getting it out first. But there are some things in the Sony implementation that I and other professionals are already questioning and that we hope other makers might approach differently. Like uh, what? Well, Sony's attitude is that dual card slots are a necessity. Their perspective is that it's a backup. Some people use dual card slots as overflow. Some people use them to record raw on one JPEG on another. Whatever your approach, I agree with dual card slots. I think it's a very useful thing to have. However, in order to maintain the body's physical proportions that Sony design engineers required, the cards they chose are CF Express Type A. Those are the same size as an SD card. However, CF Express Type A has half the bandwidth of the already proven and persistent CF Express Type B cards. It means smaller and potentially less expensive cards, but to me that doesn't make sense in a game-changing camera. Moreover, Sony has cut the internal data bandwidth in half. Another thing that makes no sense to me. I, I like the above argument. You buy a high-end camera that does all the latest and the best. You've got the fastest uh, shutter speed and the flash that's possible. But you can't use it because A, you ran out of light. The flash recycle time will be a limiter and a subpar memory card. So for the people who want the newest, fastest, A93 is currently it. But it would mean that if you are switching to Sony, that would be glass change as well. So each person should make his or her own choice. The skeptic again, Seems we have a technology that may be in search of use. And right now, I am not following the permutations and accommodations. So, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. But maybe you have something else you want to fill in? Well, your point is correct. Whether, global, whether a global shutter matters to the user is the user's decision. I have never had cause to use electronic shutter in my cameras so far. The area where it would make a difference for me is in higher flash shutter speed support without having to engage the death of a chicken and <laughs> calling on Voodoo to get high speed sync to work consistently. Only global shutter solves that. However, I have to consider how big of a problem that really is. And it's not big enough and not enough of an issue for me that would justify the expense of a camera change or even a new camera body. Listen, I'm happy to see some actual innovation in data capture methods. And I think the global shutter is where we as photographers will experience our camera technology going. Do I need to go there today? I don't have a use case to your own point. 
Thanks to all for listening to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. Post a comment or send in a question. If you have not yet checked the articles on the photovideoguy.ca, please do so as there is content that, well, just can't be well covered in a podcast. If you liked the episode and want to support the channel, you can click the Buy Me a Coffee link to make a one-time donation. When you shop at BNH Photo Video, use the link on our main page. It costs you nothing and pays a small commission. I'm Ross. I'm Gordon. Until next time, peace. <laughs>